When I'm wrong, I change my mind. What do you do? Hello, listeners, and welcome to Squeezing the Orange of Social Science, a podcast co-hosted by myself, comedian Akinomo Bitan, and Professor Dan Cable. On each episode, the two of us pick apart peer-reviewed and published social science papers, and we squeeze them for their best bits so that you, the listener, and now viewers too, don't have to sift through pages and pages of academic literature. What's up, Dan? Hi, good to be here with you. What fun, man. So, had you ever heard that uh, heard that quote before? No, I hadn't heard that quote that you you dropped in at the top. So, who who was that, and uh, what on earth were they talking about? <laughs> I think it's really fun. It's, it made me smile the first time I heard this quote. This is John Maynard Keynes, the economist, and um, he was once he like changed, he flip flopped on his views on like a, an economic question, and people were teasing him, and his burner response was, "When I'm wrong, I change my mind. What do you do?" And it's kind of interesting how um, today's paper and the exciting episode that we have today is all about this issue of what happens when you learn that what you thought you believed was right isn't. How do you handle mm. yourself? So it's a very yeah, this is like, kind of article for us to cover. Yeah, like we're kind of like like we've kind of found some really juicy things which you know remain on squeezing the orange theme, but I think this one does provide a i guess a different lens from which we can understand and experience the the science a bit more so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna shout out the title and then dan you can shout out the uh the authors Uh, so yes the title of this study is signing at the beginning versus at the end does not decrease dishonesty Okay. And this was published in the, it's called PNAS, but it's Proceedings from the National Academy of Science, which is a high impact journal. It just came out just last month, end of last month. And um, this is Ariella Christel, uh, Ashley Willens, Max Bazerman, Francesca Gino, Lisa Shu, Nina Mazer, and Dan Ariely. So it's a pretty. So the, the the gang is the gang it's a is big all gang here. of people. Like the gang is all in the house, and a bunch of these folks are what we might call famous academics. I don't know if that is an oxymoron or not, but like Dan Ariely and Max Bazerman and Frangino, they write famous books, and they also are really into this notion of economic um, nudges and this idea of like like behavioral economics, where you can make small changes in the environment that make huge effects in people's behavioral choices. Totally. And that bounces. So we kind of, we have to reference an original study as well. So what's important to note here is that this title signing at the beginning versus at the end does not decrease dishonesty. What's important to note about this title is that this modern study that Dan and I are going to discuss, this is in fact like a, it's a replication of a 2012 study, which I believe this entire gang were, were was part of as well. And out of that original study, it was concluded <laughs> that signing at the beginning does in fact decrease dishonesty. However, as Dan and I will kind of like go through what they then found through like, just from just, I'm just going to throw this at yourself, sure, Dan. Like, sure. why, why were they why were they rooting around with this again? Yeah, yeah, it's a really important one. Um, the first thing that I put out there is that it made a lot of sense 
at the time, you know, when this came out, that it would affect things. Like, first off, this is back in 2012. When this came out, that's when the whole sort of behavioral economics thing was really sort of picked up steam. And all these cool findings are coming through. Like, there were all these findings, first off, around, um, like, if you put mirrors in front of people, for example, they would be less likely to cheat. And in stores, they'd be less likely to steal. That was kind of one thing. And then there were all these other nudges, like you could increase organ donation um, by making the default, yes. And then you can always opt out. But like if just on the form, it, the default was like, you'll do this, right? If you don't want to do this, check no. Organ donation went through the roof. And the same thing with like um, retirement savings. If you make yes. the default, save 15%. And then people can say, oh, no, no, I only want to save 5%. Oh, no, no, no. I, I don't wish to save for my future. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no if I'm in an accident, <laughs> don't touch any of my vital organs. I'm taking them to Hades yeah. with me. I love these things. <laughs> I've grown quite attached to them. <laughs> That's beautiful. So when this thing came out, it made all the sense in the world. And, you know, I think it actually had a pretty big impact. We could talk about that later. And then some... Um, Probably PhD student. I'm going to guess, and I don't know this, but I'm going to guess that the first author in this is actually, I know, is a PhD student at Harvard, Ariella Crystal. And um, probably what happened is they wanted to do some additional testing and like further this and look at like when does that the strongest and what else can we learn about this? And when they tried to replicate it, it, it probably just wouldn't replicate. And I think they did study after study after study. And they just couldn't show, they couldn't find the effect again. And, That's you know, a fantastic, yeah. oh, sorry, oh, sorry, sorry, Dan. That's Go a ahead. fantastic point that you, you referenced there, this, uh, them going back to it. Because very often when I do read through these, these papers, during the general discussion right at the end, one of the things that they do discuss is what is the future impact? So if they have done this mm-hmm. study suggesting that signing at the beginning does decrease dishonesty, there may be additional questions that they then think, okay, then, so if we know that, what then, how can we further like embellish and develop? And as Dan is letting us know, is that through those attempts to uh, embellish and develop, they kind of found a problem with the original. Yeah, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> we can't seem to get the effect to reappear. <laughs> And you know what? This is an interesting and even scary kind of thing because if we just walk through like the moral dilemma and the ethical dilemma and even the irony that this is about dishonesty, that's a, yes. there's, like, there's like an additional interest there. But even if this was not a paper about dishonesty, it's pretty interesting to think like what would a person do if you had this effect? It was published in a great journal and it was having a big effect and now we can't replicate it. One option would be like just to bury it. You know, you hate to say that that's possible, but yeah, it is possible. And, you know, we're all real busy. And in this particular case, I guess you kind of want to give extra kudos, extra shout outs to these folks because their knee jerk reaction was, no, we got to put this out there then. Like we can't have this impactful paper. I think it had already been cited something like 400 times. Um, Somewhere in like the three to 400 range. And also on that note as well, in terms of the impact, it was one of the group, and I think it may have been it may have been uh, Max. Apologies if I'm I'm getting the the group member wrong, but one of the group members was working with the Canadian government, oh, and right. they had done right. like heaps of work. I think it was into, Ashley. 
was it Ashley? Sorry, Ashley apologies. Uh, so apologies, so. gang. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were working with the Canadian government. And what has happened is they basically changed a lot of processes and yeah. forms so that people were submitting, and I believe it was to do with their like uh, their tax claims, mm-hmm. uh, they were submitting them and they mm-hmm. were doing all of these changes so that people were signing at the yeah. top. So yeah. this is like yeah. super like important because I know on each episode, Dan and I joke that no one reads these things, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but people very much do. And it, it may not be in volumes, but it might be in influence and that influence right. could then could therefore affect larger volumes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And I think, for today's discussion of the paper, we, we were actually at maybe the most important part, which we can talk a little bit about the methodology and we can talk a little bit about the way that, because what they ended up having to do was prove the null effect, which is actually a very weird thing to do. You run a bunch of studies to prove that there is not an effect and that is actually a hard thing to do. And we can talk about some of the scientific decisions under that. But the maybe the more important issue is not just the particular studies and how they proved it was not true, but just that their decision was in science, we don't want to have this false and non-replicable finding floating out there in the ether having effects and so on. So I think that, that that actually is like really positive for science, especially, Akin, you've brought this up a couple of times. There is sometimes in psychology a bit of like a replication crisis where some of the old and original studies that actually were seen as like really important studies, people can't like replicate them now. And then what you don't know is like, have times changed and has psychology changed? Yeah. Or did the original authors like make stuff up or did they like fudge the methodology that we don't see it now? Or so it becomes very hazy what to do with all that. Totally. And so, yeah, I guess if we, because I know you want to talk about the the method, so I might lead in with one of the things that's important between the original study and the the replication of the study as mm-hmm. well. So mm-hmm. I'll kind of say this, and then you can uh, you can jump in also on top down. So with the original study, uh, they would have had, uh, I guess, like uh, let's say, so we're trying to see whether when you sign at the bottom versus at the top, is that kind of affecting people's honesty in terms of how are they reporting their, let's say, tax returns? So they had one group who were signing at the top, another group who were signing at the bottom, and a control group who I believe were, what, they're just not signing I don't think they all. signed at all. That's I don't right. think they signed at all. So the challenge which they later came to find is that the number of participants in total was about 100 which meant that each of those groups had 30-something participants involved in them. And we've mentioned this on previous episodes where I've kind of like asked Dan, like when they looked at some of the numbers of participants and it was kind of like maybe in like the mid to high teens or like the 20s. And I'm a bit like, is that enough? Is that enough people to to kind of really get a good kind of like sample? So that was one of the things that they changed in the second version, where I believe in the second one, each group had at least about 70 individuals in it. That's right. That's right. And so when, when you say the second one, Akin, what you mean is like Sorry. when they were, <laughs> yep. to, well, they were able to confirm that it wasn't a result. That's when you said the second study, right? Is that what yeah, you meant? Yeah, yeah, yeah yes. exactly right. Um, so they did a couple of things in study one. At least what I'm remembering is there were two lab studies where they sort of had opportunities for people to cheat. 
And those were quite small, as you said. And then they also went into a company. Um, it was an insurance company where people reported how much they drove their cars and like these odometer readings. And so what they thought they found is that people uh, kind of underreported their odometer readings when they were talking about their insurance because allegedly that would kind of bring down their costs. And in those studies, it looked with small samples, I guess, it looked as though there was this reliable, statistically significant trend. Then what maybe we'll even do now is start walking through these other ones, but they ran a series of six more studies since then in different conditions, looking at different moderators um, and much bigger sample sizes. And that's how they were able to kind of conclusively state that that effect doesn't exist. That doesn't emerge here. It might have been the case in the original study that like, for whatever reason, those people that were in the sign at the top condition, maybe they just drove less or something like that. Yeah, we don't know why. And yeah, and that's uh, there was a line in this uh, where they illustrated part of the problem with field experiments. And the line that they had was that field experiments are often conducted in noisy environments. And my understanding of this is that when you when you conduct a field study, you there's a lot of things you cannot control for, and because you cannot control for so many things. When you now start looking at your results, it's hard to tell whether that is an assessment of what your experiment is or factors that your experiment has not necessarily been looking out for. That's right. Okay. And Here's an example of that. I can, and I actually could see this happening. And again, I can't prove this and nobody can prove it didn't happen really. But in that insurance company, it is totally possible that they invented this idea and they talked very bluntly and openly with senior leadership about like, hey, if you have people sign at the top, we think it's going to be less likely they're going to cheat on their odometer readings or whatever. So it might be that the insurance company's like, oh yeah, we'll totally roll that out. And then they might have said in a very blatant way to the actual people, like, we're having you sign this at the top because we don't want you to lie on this thing. And we're kind of checking to see if people lie. And as soon as you would say something like that, then all of a sudden that completely changes the study. It has very little to do with the signing. It has to do with like a senior person saying, we'll be checking to see if you lied. It's like, well, totally. yeah, that's going to have a bit of an effect. I love that, Dan, because we've looked at so many studies and what I often find hilarious is the deception that's involved where like the, the researchers do so much to try to disguise the original purpose that's that's really right. of the study. Because it's so very often that, know the hypothesis, if they know there's like hypotheses, hypotheses, then they guess and like, oh no, well then I'm not going to do that. And then it, it causes the effect that you want to find, but not for a valid reason. Yes, totally, totally. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. So what else? Um, what else? One of the things I eventually want to go through, at least at a top level, is to kind of talk about how careful they were about running these six studies to kind of, again, prove that the effect is not there. Let's but is do there it. anything? Okay, should we jump into that now? Yeah, yeah. Because the only thing I have to add to this is just lots of jokes, man. So let's oh, <laughs> hear one of them. I, mean, I, I think that's going to be a lot funnier than oh, they'll, me they'll, they'll, they'll get whipped in. I'll, I'll shoehorn them in uh, as, as inappropriate. <laughs> Good. I hope they have something to do with cheating and or theft. That's. A- <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Well, um, okay. So there's really these, uh, I think it's five or six different, I guess you'd call them moderators. And I'm only going through these because in my opinion, it's less about these particular moderators and more about how careful the authors were. You know, as researchers, they went through and they said, well, what if, okay, we didn't find it, but what if it's because we did this on handwriting where you actually sign your name, but they did it on typing their name. So they ran one where they looked at that difference. Nope, didn't make a difference. Then they said, okay, well, maybe it's like the population, like who we're studying, because those studies were done in Boston. So this runs some up in Chicago. Uh, and maybe that's the difference. No, that's not it or whatever. It wasn't because one was Boston, one was Chicago, not, nor was it because some were in the lab and some were online, like MTurk. That wasn't the case either. They looked at verbal versus written instructions, which is kind of what I just articulated. You might have one where it's written, and that means everybody sees the exact same thing. Or it might be the case that you have um, some person saying the instructions, which means there might be variations in how they say it. Totally. So I believe that was the, the case in the loving kindness meditation where part of that was they had a workshop that's uh, right. daily. So someone was actually at the company and kind of like, you know, taking questions and answering by like, taking questions and answer. Yep. Taking yep. questions. And Both, answering, I'm sure. That's what happens. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, so there was that element and, and just to, to kind of further jump in then, cause we've done so many studies before where we tried to get these episodes down to half an hour. And sometimes the challenge with that half an hour is that in order to answer their question, they have to do maybe like, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight different studies. And we find ourselves speeding through some of these papers. But I guess this kind of highlights the importance of not just asking one question, but the critique that you may have for that question, then running a study on it as well. Because then what you're now starting to do is one by one, you're able to confidently say, okay, then we don't think that is a factor or we do believe this is a factor. And it's quite, I imagine it can be quite, um, I, I don't know if you've experienced this yourself, Dan, but have, have you gone through the process of kind of doing, like coming up with like an hypothesis where you're a bit like, hey, this sounds pretty cool. And then at some point during the research, realizing, I think I'm wrong and I've wasted six months of my yes. life. I would say usually. I hate to say it, but it's so painful. There's two ways it can go. And um, like we did this one paper that um, um, we had new hires in some conditions just learn about the job. And here's the brand new thing that you're going to be doing. This is your first hour, first day. And we had some people write about the company's values and kind of like, you know, like why they'd be proud to work there. And then we had some people write about their own self and like themselves at their best. And when we threw that in there, that one about writing about you at your best, we almost weren't able to get the company to do it because it was so weird. Ooh. And that's one of these ones because that's just not what you do. Like it's kind of normal to teach people the job. It's a little yep. normal to talk about the values, but this whole thing about having them write about themselves. Yep. It, the company was just like, that's just too weird, but we finally got them to do it. And what was interesting, that's the condition that had the big effect. Like that actually of the three conditions, it had the big effect. That is rare. It's much more common for me that you think you've got this really cool idea that if we go in here and we kind of, you know, have people make up their own job titles. That'll make them much more committed to their job. And then, like you said, you like do the intervention, you wait five months or five weeks or however long you want to wait. Then you like open up the data. It's like, uh-uh. 
Nothing. And I imagine you look for it as well. So like at first glance, you might be like, no, that's not proving what I want it to prove. So maybe I need to look at it again. (laughs) Maybe if I look at it this way. (laughs) Maybe if I remove uh, these participant results. (laughs) (laughs) And that is is one of the biggest problems. And that's why pre-registering these studies is so good. Because the idea that you in advance have a sense of what you want to test in the sample. Um, but I got to tell you, that is one of the biggest, I wouldn't call it a problem with science because it's just the way the world works. Totally. It's really hard to figure out what's going on. And yes. so like, you know how we talk about qualitative research, Akin? Yep. That's why qualitative research is so good to kind of explore around and just see what people are actually saying and you kind of let them talk it through because that allows new findings to pop out. If you're not doing that kind of research, I guess you kind of have to think about it in advance, use a theory, measure the stuff that seems right to you, but totally can be wrong on that. Yeah. Totally what can happen- be wrong on that. What happens with all the cash? Like, like you get a budget, yeah. Because like you get a budget, right? Yeah. And let's, I don't, I don't. I've got no idea how much some of these budgets average, but you yeah. get a budget because you're a bit like, okay, this is the question that I'm going to ask, and it's going to, you know, it's going to be like, you know, funded by I don't know my university or some. I don't know where you guys get your cash from, but like, you know, it's supposed to run for like two years. Yeah. Nine months into it, you're like, we've got nothing. nothing However, we've also got seventy five percent of the cash left. <laughs> Is that just like a big fair? What happens to it? Well, I, I, you, you might be, look. you might be, you might be grasping on your industry. So I don't know if you can like honestly well, answer this, Dan. You're not to look at the results until the study is all done. So you've already ah. given up all the cash. By the way, I'll tell you a funny little story that just happened this week to me. Oh, please. So I was working with a PhD student, and we needed to get a hundred MBAs to respond to a survey. So we were sending it out to like 600 people and we needed a hundred of them to respond or whatever. So we said, if you complete like the survey and so on, it's wave one and wave two. And so when you complete all that, we get a hundred people. One of you is going to win an iPad. Ooh. And, and yeah, I mean, it was like a, you know, like a, a real deal. And so I had research money for that or whatever. Same thing you're talking about. So anyway, I go ahead and I buy the person the that we drew just out of a lucky dip drew the name out of the hat somebody wins it and i sent him the the ipad he's like oh it's not really the good one (laughs) and i go i don't know what do you mean it's a brand new ipad he's like well it had said uh, 64 gigabyte and this one's like 32 or whatever oh Oh, no so he was right I mean, we, we, we have, we have an episode on gratitude, which you may wish to send to that PhD student. <laughs> and there's also an episode we have on gift giving in which I kick off about how I hate giving people gifts, partly for this exact reason. I don't know what you want, man. <laughs> no, no, I, I did it all wrong. <laughs> that was a really funny one. It, 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 you know, cause you know, the money is spent then you got to get them the thing, but um, yep. it, we, we actually didn't find results on that just to kind of put mm. it on, to close the loop on this, because it's not like you look at the results and then decide whether you're going to pay out. It's not like, it's not like a lotto. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you pay it out regardless. And then you go and look at the data. And in this study, it just didn't work the way we thought, you know? So there we have it. That's the exact thing. 
So, do we want to talk anything else about this paper? <laughs> well, yeah, I think there, there was one thing that they, I don't know if it was their intent to find it, but there was a gem of a line in this study. And I just, I just loved it. They were kind of like talking about, you know, they'd come to terms with the idea that, okay, we've, we've tried to replicate this. We realized that the first thing, which was a big deal, didn't really answer the question. And there's a yeah. throwaway line, which I think is just the greatest finding of the replication, okay, which wait. may have like, and the line is, it says, in other words, all groups had similar rates of relatively <laughs> low cheating, regardless of condition. And I thought that was the greatest finding in all of this paper. Did Tell me why. Because you, like, of course we're going to cheat a little gonna, bit. We're going to cheat. <laughs> like, it's like, I mean, is that such a, is that even science? <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's, it's like, there's, it, there seems to be something ingrained in our, our makeup as humans yes. that if given the opportunity, yes. come on, man, even if it's yeah. a little bit, it's yeah, like, I mean, it's kind of almost not worth playing Monopoly if you ain't going to just slide yourself a little cheeky hundred dollar <laughs> bill. Like, come on, man. Like at some point, part of it? Yeah, the banker's going to go get, oh. like, some cookies, and then someone's going to, yes. like, turn around. You're just going to slip yourself, like, yes. you know, a little hotel. Like, I've yeah, never hotel's played. always been on Mayfair. Don't, don't, don't. Like, <laughs> it's just... just on, that, on, that, on that vibe that you just brought up there, I thought it was really funny how one of the studies, they did this thing where you were given, like, anagrams that where you had to, like, mix up the words and then solve what words they are, and they defined cheating... This is how they define cheating. Cheating was defined as people who reported solving, in quotes, more than the maximum possible solvable. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, they literally gave them things that could not be solved, and people were like, I got that one. (laughs) They aren't real words. There are no words in those letters. I got it. I got it. I got that one. I got it. That's... uh... You gotta love that so much. And, I, and there was also like the uh, the dice rolling. So they had like two 12 sided dice. And I believe that participants got like, let's say I'm, I'm going to like really like rough up their study. So like listeners, this isn't, this isn't going to be a literal interpretation of what happened, but let's say you get two 12 die, two 12 sided dice. So the maximum that you could roll with that is 24. And so you get one roll of this and whatever you roll, you get like, let's say you get a dollar. Um, so by the end, it's going to be self-reported. What did you roll? So the average, I believe in terms of like, it should be like about 13, 13 across 13 is the average. However, they were pulling in numbers that were like about like 14.5, 14.8. So like that extra extra like 1.7, That's like, I'm going to treat myself to some fries on the side, man. Like, come on. Like no one saw like, is that seven? That kind of looks like a 19 to me. If I look at it this way, it looks more like a nine. (laughs) So imagine that like the maximum you can roll is 24 and people are like submitting their complaints completion forms of here i got a 48. solid 32 like yeah i got i got a nice <laughs> nice 48. pay up now let's pay up <laughs> Akin, have you ever seen a 12-sided die oh man not since my uh, dungeons and dragons days <laughs> <laughs> okay okay is that what those are those come out of that so oh they've got like these of- dice with like 20 numbers or something like that i see okay so in the end then um 
I think we can start to, I at least can start to summarize that why this thing was so important for me is you have hopefully a trend or at least a, a bright spot where you got some high profile researchers who had done some high profile research found that it really wasn't what they thought and sort of went public in a prestigious journal and also props to the prestigious journal PNAS for saying we'll publish a non-replication. So everybody's kind of playing by the rules here. And that actually, I think should feel, should feel good in some ways. You kind of got to do it, right? Like, let's say, what, is it six people in the original Mm. study? Mm -hmm. And they're like, hey, man, so we've managed to get like four out of the six to kind of fess up. And then there's one person like you're kind of like at that point. (laughs) You're not going to be able to hold hold it. You're going to look real shady if you're a bit like, I think it's a bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. And yeah, I think like to link back to your, your opening quote, Dan, like, you know, when I'm wrong, I change my mind what do you do? And there is something quite liberating by acknowledging and being okay with just being wrong. And I think when you liberate yourself to that, you're kind of, you're kind of never really wrong because you're just always open to being corrected. And I think there there is something where it's, it might be like a, a pride thing where if we can kind of just drop those, that level of pride or ego down for a second and just be a bit like, yeah, I was wrong, but now I have information that allows me to be right. And I think that's part of the gift of this. Um, I don't, would they call it like what a retraction or a, a rep- I, I, I don't it at least is a sort of a retraction. Ordinarily a retraction would mean you pull the original paper and you just say there's something wrong with it. This one is like a retraction through good science. This is like, yes, almost proving themselves wrong (laughs) Mm. because they used capital S science with really strong methodology, six samples, huge sample sizes in order to show how very wrong they were. So yeah, that's that's humbling. Um, There's this really cool art, um, Ted talk that I saw by Catherine Schultz and it's called on being wrong. And uh, if you haven't seen that yet, it's really good because she asked the question, what does it feel like to be wrong? And she asked the audience, they're like, oh, it feels bad or it feels like I did something stupid or it makes me feel like a child. She goes, no, 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 no. That's how it feels when you learn that you're wrong. Being wrong feels a lot like being right. Mm. It's like Wile E. Coyote when he goes off the cliff and there's that little period before he falls And it's like his legs are kind of moving, but he doesn't know that he's going to fall off the cliff. It's like that moment is really an interesting one because what we might mostly go through life being wrong, but feeling right. Mm. And the way you just phrase that for me is a mindset that allows you to at least learn when you are wrong so that you can adapt. Totally. Because a lot of us, I think, I'm, I'm putting myself in this too, we go through life mostly feeling right. But there's this phrase that said, hold your beliefs lightly, because most of what we currently think is so right in retrospect or in a different environment or with new facts, it might start looking like it was naive at best and wrong at worst. Anyway, oh, that's wowzers. something. 
That's on that on that sobering note, uh, <laughs> listeners and viewers, but thank fun. you very much <laughs> for rocking with us once again. We are loving putting these together and sharing them with yourselves as well. Uh, if you are on iTunes, there is a place where you can give us a, a five-star rating. Please be so kind as to do so. Uh, whenever you see us tweeting about the podcast or on LinkedIn, please feel free to hit like, hit share. Uh, you can go for our catalog as well. And if there's someone who you believe might benefit from one of these episodes, please feel free to share it with them as well. Uh, also, YouTubers, you can hit subscribe. You can hit like as well. Oh, actually, oh, wow. We got, this was a, oh man. Like, I really want to shout out because we this episode was like nudged oh, to us, yes, right? Yes. Like just before we go, I'm going to bear with me a second, listeners. This is like, I can't believe I almost forgot to do this. And I'm, we, we do it, by the way, we do this every episode. We do this like, there's no there's no editing we hit record and dan and i just have ourselves most of you might know this actually if you've listened you're a bit like yeah they are not editing that should have been cut out like that really um, was wrong (laughs) but i've oh man i've got it you're gonna you're gonna have to hang in there listeners like some of you might want to tune out but i'm just (laughs) going to i gotta find i gotta find the names i've just got to quickly give them a shout out dan while i'm rambling you might want to i don't know if there's anything you want to say Okay. I'm gonna find this a bit quicker. Okay, fine. Um, let's see. Maybe plug something. Mm, what you do you got want books? To hear? <laughs> you got books, right? You got like. <laughs> okay, how about this one then? On this week, I did this pandemic webinar, and that had to do with using gratitude in order to build tighter, closer relationships. And it deals with some of the research Akin and I have talked about before, where you can highlight people's strengths. And if you're interested in that and you want to get a link to that, um, that webinar, shoot me or Akin uh, or whatever um, a note and I'll send that to you. How's awesome. that, Akin? That is perfect. And I want to shout out, well, Dan and I would love to shout out and forgive me if the pronunciation is incorrect in any way. We want to shout out Shabil O'Flaherty, who sent us uh, this paper and and asked if we could if we could uh cover it so thank you very much shabil like dan and i got the email and immediately we're like yes we were doing uh, so, that yeah so if you if you listeners do have uh some other papers or if there's any themes that you would like us to tackle dan is on twitter as dan cable one i'm on twitter as akin omobitan uh and we'd, we'd love to hear from you um yeah this okay now i'm just rambling you know what <laughs> Enjoy the rest of your lives. (laughs) Goodbye, everyone.